Thus says the Lord, this word shall go out and not return. Every knee will bow, every tongue will shout, and all of it to your glory. Father, we are gathered here tonight because you put it in our souls, in our hearts, to long after you. You put in our hearts that they would long for eternity, and the only eternal thing is you. Father, we want to turn our eyes to you. But in order to do so, as we just sang, would you give us clean hands? Would you give us pure hearts? That the only thing on our mind is to please you, to seek you out while you may be found. So Father, every soul in here, from the most senior kupuna to the youngest keiki, we need you. We need you to meet us where we are at. Those of us gathered here in the house and those of us who want to be here but have to be here in spirit. All of us here and need your word. We love you, Father, but we only love you because you loved us. So would you be the one to cleanse us? Would you be the one to pour yourself out unto us that we would experience grace untold, mercy unmeasured, and love unendingly? All of these things are good and perfect gifts from you, Father. And we freely accept them. We did nothing to earn it. But you poured it out anyways. So Father, help us to experience it. Help every word that we hear tonight to be ministered to our souls because you are here. Father, to gather in your name, to read your word, to sing your praises. We don't deserve it. And it is only going to be fruitful if you are here with us, moving us, cutting us as you see fit. Father, this time is yours. You set it aside that we would gather here to seek you out. Father, I pray that every soul in here would find you. And better yet, that we would know you found us first. We are your treasure, Father. Thank you for making us this. And help us to seek you out. To know that you are refining us that you are circumcising us and all of it is done so that you would be glorified. So help us to praise you in all things that we do. In your name we pray. Amen. First Timothy 5, 22-25 Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink any water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomachs and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also, good works are conspicuous, and even those who are not that are not cannot remain hidden. Thank you for reading that. Um, before I take us into prayer over the text and the message, I wanted to inform us, those of you Everyone here on Wednesday night knows Faye because she is a regular. Um, a few nights ago, she had a series of strokes. Um, she's been in the hospital in the ICU since. We've, I visited her yesterday. Uh, she has bleeding on both sides. When I went down there, um, she didn't have vision or speech. Um, but she was able to recognize us, recognize my voice, um, who was there with her. 
as we spent time praying over her, her and the family, um, I was able to hear her speak a little bit. Um, so that is uh, hopeful that she's slowly coming back. Um, spoke with the brother this morning, and there's no significant progress, but there's no digress either. She's kind of still in the same situation. Uh, I did ask her um, if we could be praying for her, and she, she nodded. She said yes. Um, and I also want to let you guys know the names of her family, uh, which is Andy, Denise, and Amanda, um, her niece. And so we'll be praying for Faye right now. We'll also pray for the family. And um, yeah, uh, I just wanted to inform everybody uh, because that happened very recent, right? Faye's one of our regulars, our sweet sisters in the church, but especially Wednesday night, I know a lot of you know her, have been able to interact with her throughout the year. Um, we all got to even just share in that joy of her being baptized earlier this year. And so um, let's pray. The Bible is clear uh, that we are to be a people that when anyone is suffering, you should, James says, pray. And this isn't wishful thinking, right? This isn't optimistic positivity. We're not just crossing our fingers. Remember, we are going to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords who made faith and is well acquainted with her pain right now, all pain. Sickness is a sobering reminder of the condition we are all in. We're sinners, and we live in a world of sin. And things like this happen because we are a fallen we're living in a broken world. Um, but we have a God who made the heavens and the earth. He made us. Therefore, he can fix us. That's why he sent Jesus Christ to overcome sin and death. So as a people who have this faith, and Faye would agree with us tonight, we can, in the face of sickness and suffering, have great confidence that God is doing a work, that this is happening for many reasons beyond our knowing right now. But we know this, he will be glorified. We know this, that he's doing a mighty work in Faye and her family right now. And, and so I just want to share that a bit and, and, and try my utmost to not just lead us in a, a prayer but let our hearts really weigh these things. Um, let the sobering shock of that sad news hit you in the place it's supposed to. And so when we pray together, church, have faith in who we are praying to. He can just say the word and it is done. We will not be afraid to pray for God to be God and be gracious and compassionate and merciful to heal, to draw souls to himself had this not happened. So let's pray, um, and then we will get into our teaching. And um, I wanted to be able to share that with you guys tonight. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, in this moment, We're so thankful for Christ and the torn veil and the blood that has atoned us and allowed us to be righteous, not of a works of our own, 
but because of Christ. And then it says this in James, that the prayer of a righteous man has great power. We believe, God, in your word. And we know that you to be a God who has written out the book of Lamentations for us, for us to express our pain right now. We are super sad to hear of what's happening to our sister Faye. We don't want her brain to continue bleeding. We desire her health to be restored. We do not enjoy or like any form of sickness, God. Whether it's strokes or cancers or sudden sickness or calamity, all of this is sad. And we hurt tonight. We mourn with those who are mourning. We think of her family. We think of Andy and Denise and Amanda. We think of close, dear friends and relatives. And we think of even just us as her church family who love her so much. God, have mercy. And stretch out your hand. And be merciful and compassionate. And we plead and beg, oh God, that you'd heal Faye. Heal our sister. Restore her. Grant her grace to carry on. And we pray even now in her physical weakness that her heart and her mind and her soul would be powerfully strong. With whatever strength you give her to utter words, we pray that they would be profound words to her brother, to her sister, to her niece. We pray that you'd still continue to allow our sister to shine bright while she lays there in the bed right now tonight. You know exactly what's going on in her body, Lord. So we don't need to inform you of what needs to be done, but we're begging and pleading, would you do something? You're a mighty God. All you need to do is say the word and it is done. Father, hear the prayers of your people tonight. And we pray that as we continue to think of our sister and any other brother and sister in need this evening, that you would teach us to be a praying people, that our prayers would be mighty that our prayer lives would increase, that our prayer for people in suffering, especially for our brothers and sisters, would be a reflection of our great faith in you. So hear our cries, Lord, tonight. Draw the family to yourself. As brother, sister, and family are sitting there looking at her, with the reality of this Difficult circumstance caused them to weigh things to heart. Think of eternal things. To desire to seek you and find you. To make sense of why is there this broken situation before me. Father, we take this as a reminder for ourselves that nobody knows the day or the hour when you will Either come to get us or call us home. No evening we have is promised. 
Quite frankly, we don't even know if we'll make it through the hour tonight. And these are not truths to shy away from. These are good, sobering realities. For we ask that you would tune our hearts in right now and to truly make the most of this moment, to fully be present. Deliver us from religious note-taking or just kind of mustering through another worship service. Free us from pretending to pursue you. Nobody knows the day or the hour. So help us, God. We thank you for the opportunity, as was prayed earlier, for another evening of grace through study. And as a family, we not only want to study the Bible together, but walk through the tough stuff in this life together. So teach us, whether through teaching or just circumstances, pray that you would send our aloha and our love and affection and care to Faye and her family through us, Lord. Spirit of God, give us wisdom in how to pray and support. And as we're here right now, and as we take upon these next verses, wake us up. For all of your Bible is very important. Every time we open the Bible, it literally is life or death. Because you have the words of eternal life. And to ignore it and dumb it down or not listen to it would be a deadly disaster. Deliver us from a spirit of Eutychus who would snooze through a study. Help us, Lord, to seek you together. In Christ's name, and all God's children said, Amen. 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 All right. Sounds good. Let's get into it. Father, we thank you for the joy of studying the Bible. We thank you that everyone has an alertness and an attentiveness and an interest in your word. That's a gift from you. But even in the midst of study and enjoying study, there's a temptation. There's a temptation to take this lightly. There's a temptation to just study it and get it in our brains, but not really apply it as a church. We pray the New One Baptist Church would heed these verses. We pray that everyone in this room would heed these verses. And I pray that everyone that is not a pastor would especially heed these verses because the Bible in First Timothy has been teaching us that this is for all of us. We are the pastor search committee, the church. The quality of our leadership is going to be a result of the quality of our membership here. Everybody in this room matters and is going to participate in the building up and appointing future pastors, elders, and leaders in this church. So please, Father, you've worked it in my heart to have a passion tonight to be out to awaken people to take these verses super seriously. So start here with us in Jesus' name. Amen. I think I told this story before, but I was surfing one day at Bowles, and when you surf at a regular spot, when you're waiting for a wave, Trevor, what do you do? You talk story. Um, unless you, like, be that guy that just, like, act like pro surfer and just stare at the waves. 
Um, but none of us are pro surfers, so we sit there, we talk story. As I'm waiting for a wave, you know, um, one of the sisters paddles up, and the conversation is like, everyone's going around. Oh, what you do? Oh, construction. What you do? Oh, I had a guy, and I do insurance. Oh, what you do? And then it comes to my turn, right? Oh, what you do? And I just tell them, I'm a pastor. And then sister looks at me, you're a pastor? And in my mind, I'm thinking, I know, right? You know? But, but I'm thinking maybe she's, whatever perception she has, maybe she's like, oh, pastors don't surf, you know, or look like you or whatever. Um, but so she's, sho- she's shocked and she says, you're a pastor. And then she follows up the question with, how'd you become that? And then her wave comes. She had the right of way. She takes it. She catches her wave. And, you know, sister didn't know that that question would sit me there on my board. And I'm thinking, how did I? become this, you know, and, and it was really something to reflect on. I was trying to think, like, because when she paddled back out, I wanted to give her the answer, you know, because, you know, it makes sense in her mind, oh, well, how do you become a pilot, or how do you become an insurance person, or how do you become a this, or how do you become a that? You go to school, you do that, and I was sitting there trying to figure out a good, winsome, honest answer. How did I become a pastor? Because I'm racing through the files of my memories, and I'll be very frank and open and honest with you guys. My pathway to the pastorate was, I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one like this, but peculiar. Um, I think providential. Um, but I couldn't say that to sister, right? Oh, how'd you become a pastor? Oh, by the providence of God and his peculiar ways, I became a pastor. She'd be like, whoa, okay, see you later. You know, but it, it was really, and we didn't get to finish the conversation because surfing just kept going on. But I remember that whole afternoon, that question really caused me to think. And I wonder how much of us in the church ever even think about that. Like, Keiki, think. How do you get the pastors who you have? If you want to be a pastor one day, how do you become that? What is the actual biblical pathway to becoming a pastor or an elder that what we've been learning of in our study? And why I think it's so scary that we have question marks or look like, you know, just like, uh, I don't know is because I would bet this, I bet you this, that if you've been in the church for some time and you are living with negative, painful, bad, abusive, physically or spiritually or emotionally church hurts, if you have any scars like that and it somehow connects to leadership in the church, I bet you this, it's because verses like this didn't get taken seriously. It's because stuff like this that we've been talking about for months now wasn't really thought through and then applied well. Because how does one become a pastor? I've heard many stories of people, pastors that I've talked and chatted with of how we got to where we're at. And I've heard many, many times Pastors say, it just fell on my lap. I didn't even really want to do this, and yet I'm doing it. Um, If I could do anything else, I honestly would, but this is paying right now. Um, And guys, this, I would bet that a lot of the church pain and hurt we're experiencing today is because we didn't give careful heed to these verses. J.D. Greer, he's a pastor, and he was also the president of our convention at one time. He tells this statistic story, 
and it's a statistic story of pastoral failure. He says this, I was at a conference in 2007 listening to a pastor who shared these statistics about pastoral failure. He says, I was sitting there and this prominent pastor began to share these sobering stats. In the U.S., 1,500 pastors leave the ministry here at each month, each month, due to moral failure, burnout, or contention with, other, with people in their church. 50% of pastors' marriages end in divorce. 80% of pastors feel unqualified and discouraged in their role. 50% of pastors are so discouraged that they would leave the ministry if they could but they have no other way of making a living. 70% of pastors constantly fight depression. Almost 40% of pastors polled, and they said that they had an extramarital affair ever since the beginning of their ministry. 40%. 80% of pastors' wives feel like their husbands are overworked. Over half of the pastor's wives surveyed said the most destructive event that has occurred in their marriage was the day that their husband entered into ministry. J.D. goes on to say, then just a decade later, nine years later, that same pastor, the one who warned everyone at the conference about pastoral burnout and failure, was removed from the pastorate in 2016 because he's abused leadership. He shut out attempts for accountability, and he pursued inappropriate relationships with a couple of different women. End quote, end story. Now, I start like this and I share this because I want us to feel the gravity of the seriousness of lacking, of failing to prepare for the pastorate. A wise man once told me. Failing to prepare is preparing to fail. The pathway to the pastor, it's something all of us, not just myself, not just your pastoral team. And shame on us as pastors if we're not thinking about this a ton. If I'm not thinking about the men after me a ton, shame on me. But if we are not thinking about the men after this, Shame on us. Before I get into the text, here's a sobering question. I want to address the men in this house. Men, who do you want leading and preaching and teaching your wives and your children? How about women? Who do you want leading and preaching and teaching to your husbands and your children? Everybody, who do you want leading and preaching and teaching to your family and your friends, those who you bring to the church? But here's a more important question, not really just who we want. What does God want and require of these men who are going to be leading and preaching and teaching his people? And we've already studied in this book, in chapter 3, God made that very crystal clear. But Paul needs to get practical because it just doesn't happen. You just don't have elders, bloop, out of the blue. They get appointed. Men actually get into the office. And Paul now is trying to bring Timothy to a place of like, okay, bro, as you rebuild this church and the leadership, you got to be patient, not pushy. you got to be responsible. Don't rush it. 
The title is my argument. I'm going to argue tonight that patient preparation, that's the pathway to the pastorate. Not any other way. Patient preparation. And I know all of us know like the word patient, right? All of us know like wait. We cannot even wait two minutes for our hot pocket. You stay standing right in front of your microwave and you pop them out 10 seconds early. Why? I just cannot wait, right? We're just a very impatient people. And it would be very sad if that character floods now into the church and into this specific situation, our pastoral leadership. Three pages, just a few points. Patient preparation is the pathway to the pastorate. Verse 22, do not be hasty. That's not hard to understand, right? No rush. Hasty, takios. Don't be quick. Don't be short. Now, this was brought up in observation time. Laying on of hands. Now, what could this possibly mean? I'll read you the verses. Just write it down. Acts chapter 6, verse 6. Remember that story when we did Acts? When they needed to find deacons or leaders to help serve? You know what the church did? They prayed and laid hands on these men and got them into office. Chapter 13, verse 2 to 3, when Paul and Barnabas, they were set aside, the Holy Spirit set aside Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them to do. There's a commissioning now. There's a work that these guys got to do. Then what it says, the church prayed and laid hands. 1 Timothy 4.14, last chapter, right? Paul reminds Timothy, hey, fan into flame, or no, not fan into flame. Don't forget the prophecy that was made upon you. And when the elders laid hands on you, Timothy, and prayed for you, This laying on of hands, it's a picture of an appointing to the ministry. It's a commissioning for the work. This is a big deal. So when he says, no be hasty to lay hands, he doesn't mean just, oh, no be quick to run around and just touch people and pray for people, Chris. Like, go slow. Lay the hands slow. You know, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, this is actually, in its context, you're trying to appoint elders in this church and you don't want to do that fast here's the point we mustn't fast track men into pastoral ministry but filter them right we mustn't fast track you know fast track is you ever go to disneyland the fast pass that's right everybody else gotta what they gotta wait but the person who get the fast pass, you walk by with, like, skip. You know, you just feel good. It's like when you hit that lane in the traffic, in the freeway, and for some reason that lane is flowing and everyone is waiting. You feel like you just beat 100 people, you, you know. Um, but that's what he's saying. Don't be hasty. Don't fast track men into pastoral ministry. And I put this, filter them. I put that word on purpose. I hope I put all my words on purpose. But if you think of a filter, what is that? Cleans water. <laughs> Cleans water. That's right, it does. It's a porous device that's used to remove impurities. And if you ever watch a filter, the thing what? It just drips. Like me with my coffee affections. I just wait for the final drip in the pot, and then finally I can pour my cup. And then my wife says, you know, you can pull it out early. It stops it. And I'm like, oh, 
but I wait. I wait till the whole thing pours. I pull it. But the thing is with a filtering process, it's not fast. It's not hasty. It takes time. Now, I just have a random thought and question why Paul would need to write this. Because perhaps Timothy wanted to be hasty. Why would anyone want to be hasty to appoint elders? I know why I want to be hasty. I don't like to be alone. If Timothy had stomach problems and he was young and timid, you kind of want to build a team ASAP. I can imagine Timothy wanting, tempted to just being like, yes, you, 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 come, come, come. And Paul needed to say, no, 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 don't be hasty. Because this is serious. There's a lot of reasons why we could be as a church tempted to just fast track guys into this. Maybe if we're thinking pragmatically, if I got more pastors, we can do more ministry. If we do more ministry, we get more people. And we could swell this thing up. You think business mindset, right? More managers, more productivity. That's not how this works. One, this is not a business. It's a family. And two, when you think about it, have you looked at the qualifications in chapter 3? Remember that? Let me remind us. If anyone's aspiring for the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. He must be above reproach. Can you fast track being above reproach? Having a blameless character? A husband of one, a one woman man. He's got to be a faithful dude. Can you fast track faithfulness? Can you fast track sober mindedness and self control and respectability, hospitality, the ability to teach, not being a drunk, not being a scrapper? not being a lover of money, any of these qualifications, can you fast track that? Can you rush that into a person? Is there a pill you can pick up at Walmart that gives you more patience? If there is, tell me. <laughs> I'd pop that thing. But there is none. There is none, right? Is there a pill that can just make you super faithful and destroy all the lust and adulterous thoughts? You can't fast track men into ministry, you got to filter them. Review those qualifications, church. And then it says actually in verse 6 in chapter 3, he must not be a recent convert. You remember that? He cannot be a, a newbie. He can't be a fresh young believer. Now this doesn't mean age because Timothy is young. It just means his filtering process started Young, from Grandma Lois and all. So you young boys in the house, I'm looking at Matthew and Lauren and Zion, like you, you young men, your filtering process could be starting right now. I'm not saying that you're going to be a pastor or an elder one day. But sure, if they're going to be examples to us of Jesus, you might as well aspire to be one, right? But you know what's crazy is if you, you young boys start being filtered now. And when I say filtered, meaning you're working on your Christ-like character. You want to be like Jesus now. You're taking your sin seriously now. By the time you're 18, I would probably say you could be more mature than 30-year-olds. Lauren's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Timothy is a young dude. Livia brought this up. But Paul didn't see him as a recent convert. This is repeat preaching from chapter 3, but brother... We, family, we want brothers in the, in the pastorate that are broken in believers, not newbies. 
they got to be men who are broken down and built up by the gospel. So men in this place who aspire and have expressed aspiration for the ministry. Like Brandon here. I told him I was going to put him on the spot. That's why he's preaching next week. Yes, show him some love. But, you know, it, 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 it really is one of those, like, and, it, and I even wrote down, I have a file in my, in my study of, 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 of the day that Brandon told me he had these aspirations. God was probably filtering him much before that, but that's just when I first knew. And ever since that day, we've been working together, praying together, and, and, and it's just, we don't, we don't want to even think about ministry and a position in ministry unless we're really tried and true. You know what I mean? That's why it doesn't surprise me, Brandon, or any of you other brothers who aspire for the ministry, or you sense a call from God that he might be preparing you for such a position. It doesn't surprise me if your life is hard right now. It doesn't shock me if you're walking through some real fire right now. It doesn't surprise me that you're having a bad week. Why? Because God is trying to work on you. It's just whether you see it or not. James says this, Satan's tempting you because he wants you to flop. But God is testing you because like any good teacher, he wants you to pass. He wants you to succeed. So please, I'm begging you, and church, we're praying for men like this, that God would build in our church leaders, especially our elders, Christ-like character. And the only way you get character, according to James, is suffering, is pain. Timothy, don't put men into the pastorate who don't know the heat of the battle. They don't know victory over sin. Don't be hasty to just put any guy in there. They don't know that fire yet. They might know their theology. They might have it all their categories tidied up. But put them in a hospital room with someone who's dying. And what do they do? What do they say? How do they carry themselves? Put them in a counseling room with a couple who's, who's sleeping around and they come to you for counsel. What you can say, Pastor? How are you going to conduct yourself? Put them in a, in a situation, in a committee meeting where members are fighting with each other. What are you going to say? What are you going to do, pastor? Don't show me your fire in the pulpit until I've seen your fire in your personal holiness. That's how we got to think, church. Not just me as a pastor. All of us got to think like that. That's why I keep saying to you again and again, my personal holiness, me just as a child of God and keeping that pure is the greatest gift that I could give to you. All the statistics that I read in the beginning, who's to say that couldn't happen to me or any of our pastors? Paul is trying to give us wisdom of how to prevent this. We don't want last week's message to come to fruition in our church, do we? I don't want to walk through verses 19 to 21 together. I don't want to. Do you want to? I don't want to have to discipline an elder. So these verses is teaching us how to prevent that. So don't appoint men who haven't proven themselves. And this just takes time.
Character takes time. This is a word for us all. Whatever you're going through tonight, God's working on you. Let him. Let's keep going. So don't be quick. Don't be hasty to lay hands. Don't fast-track men into pastoral ministry. Filter them. So Brandon right now is going through a filtering process. In our bylaws, I'm trying to, we're trying to spell out more clearly for the church members, you guys can expect to know what that looks like. How does one become a pastor at New One Baptist Church? And what's the filtering process? Here's some practical application. We're working on a new draft of bylaws. When we make that public to the membership, please grab a copy and read it. And get familiar with it. Give your input on it. And then participate in helping us filter the men who aspire for the pastorate. We do this together. And here's a big warning. Timothy, don't be quick to a point. If you're quick to a point, you'll be quickly disappointed. He reads on, if you do that, nor take part in the sins of others, keep yourself pure. You see that? You see the warning there? The incentive? If you lay your hands, when we lay our hands on a future elder, let's say by God's grace, Brandon or another brother, comes to a place where we have a worship service where this man has been tried and true and tested and qualified to the best of our ability and we're about to lay hands on him and pray for him and install him into office. What we are doing as a church family is saying we endorse and approve of this man and his ministry. That's a big thing. And then whoever that brother is, if a year later we come to find that he's actually fooling around with someone. It's not... Oh, shame, shame, tisk, tisk. It's that's on you. How did he get there? You appointed him. So, Timothy, this is serious. Here's the point we will be held responsible for rushing men into ministry. Now, we first, the pastors, but we as a church, because we do this as a family. Nuanu is a congregationally led church, guys. We make big decisions together. And the Bible is saying, we'll be held responsible. And this is why Paul is saying, this is a way, Timothy, you got to keep yourself pure. Don't just endorse any bro. No matter how funny, cool, eloquent, or stellar their resume might look, no. Test them with 1 Timothy 3. Are they this? I wonder, man. Timothy feeling the pressure to want to appoint. I mean, he had a bad, there was a bad leadership before him, right? Probably men who weren't filtered. They're teaching all Kapakai stuff. So Timothy, this pastor, wanting to reform the eldership, must have been hard. I want to break the chain of wrongfully less than self-appointed leadership in our generation and in this place. You want to break that chain together? Would you want to do this together? Then we got to heed these verses. Because this really is a family thing, guys. If there's anybody candidating, and if there's anyone presently, even myself in the pastorate, well, what have we been learning from the Bible? we got to care for our elders, not just with double honor, but with accountability. And I will say this again. 
It's not just about being a church that will be able to discipline a pastor well or pays a pastor well. That's not the main point. This is bigger than that. It's the glory of God. I don't want our King Jesus' name to be blasphemed among your family and friends who don't believe because, oh, there he is again, another pastor at your church. That is blah, 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 blah. This is the name of God. It's the gospel being clearly preached through pure men. With all their faults and failures, they know the blood, they know the work of Christ. They live it and preach it and bleed it and sleep it and smell it. And it's for our good. I look at our children and your future children. And I shared last week a lot of the the, the nightmares that I've had growing up in church, witnessing so much leadership fall in church. And I don't want you or your children to have to live through that if we can help it, right? If we can have the wisdom now to cultivate a solid, godly leadership now, how crazy cool would that be? How awesome will our witness be to this dark, painful world? This is bigger than just policies. This is for the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus. So Paul says, you're going to be held responsible. Don't rush. Verse 23, we're going to pit stop here really shortly because Paul does. And he says, Timothy, this could be parenthetical. Maybe that's why in your Bible there's in parentheses. You ever write an email or you ever talk to someone on the phone and you say, oh, by the way, blah, 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 blah. Pick up the chicken. And then you keep going back. And you call. It could be that. It could be parenthetical. Because a lot of scholars stumble over this. They're like, why is he talking about wine now? When we're talking about pastoral ministry, and then you bust out the wine stuff. I can actually see how this could connect in his train of thought. But it, re- it reads like this. Don't just take water. Use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So whether it's parenthetical or whether it's also a way of him disproving the asceticism. Asceticism is the false teachers, right? Earlier in the chapter, they said don't eat certain foods. And you can't, they're forbidding marriage. So there's a big hype in the day where it's like, oh, we only drink water. We're so holy that we only drink water. So he could be speaking against that saying, no, Timothy, take a little wine. But here's the main point. Care for your health. Here's the point. Pastors must care for them spirit, themselves spiritually and physically. I love that Paul doesn't just care about his purity. He cares about his body. Hey, Timmy, how's your tummy? Oh, yeah. Take some wine. Now, this is not Paul saying, hey, Timothy, we go drink. That's not what this is teaching. If you read that and you think this is a verse that can be used to, cause we go drink for the glory of God. No, if you take that and you're misreading your Bible big time, what's the emphasis? You got frequent ailments, care for your body. I said we're just going to pit stop here, but I'm trying to get past this, but there's so much to say. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, it says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. If you use this verse to go drink or give into some sort of substance, you are actually doing the opposite of what the verse is teaching. No, he's saying care for your body. Because we are people who our makeup is 
mind, body, and spirit, and soul. Paul cares about Timothy holistically. Please care about your pastor's body. I, this one was convicting to me. I got to take care of myself. I'd cut back on a cheeseburger or two. It's important. We, you know, men who are aspiring for the ministry, think of your body as a horse that you need to ride to deliver the message. You can't get the message if your horse is dead. If you go in junk horse, how are you going to deliver that mail? If I'm like walking to church, gasping all the time, and I could have done something about it, do something about it. So that's, that's the wisdom here. Paul cares for Timothy spiritually and physically. And you know, guys, honestly, as we love each other and care for each other, please care for each other physically too. We prayed for Faye's physical healing tonight. Care for each other. Don't just ask, how's your time with the Lord? Ask that. That's important. But just how are you? How much sleep you got last night? Anyway, trying to pit stop. I got to get out of here. Verse 24 and we're done. So then he says, the sins of some are conspicuous. Christian brought that up in observation. Obvious. Going before them to the judgment. Now the judgment I believe here is not judgment fires of hell, but judgment of whether to assess if this should be an elder or not. So some candidates are going to be obvious. Don't appoint that, brother. That guy has just got some self-control issues. He's scrapping with someone every other week. He's not elder qualified. I saw brought over there flirting with like how many people? You need some time. Filter that, brother. You know, um, filter, filter. You know, so some sins are going to be conspicuous, obvious, but others will show up later. Good works are obvious too, but even that, those that are not. They cannot remain hidden. Highlight this. Sins will appear later. Good works that are not good works will not remain hidden. Here's what Paul is trying to tell Timothy. The reason you don't want to rush, Timothy, is because time will tell if a man is meant to be in the ministry. Time will tell. Give it some time, Timothy. Because Numbers 32 says that a sin will find you out. If there is a candidate that is tinkering with sin, that sin's going to catch him. Genesis 4 says this, sin's crouching at your door, and it's hunting you. It desires to have you. And if you entertain that sin, if you keep it alive, it's going to get you. Matthew 10 says this, for nothing that is covered will be, will, that will not be revealed or hidden that will be, not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, say it in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim it to the housetops. Hebrews 4.13, no creature that is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of whom he must give an account. Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Here's the point, you can't hide from God. You're not punking nobody if you're hiding sin. There's nothing. There's no such thing. It's going to find you out. So Timothy, when it comes to appointing men in the pastorate, don't rush. Because some brothers can cruise it and lay low. And if you quickly appoint them, those sins will come out later. That pride can snare him. So you got to filter that brother more. That lust... That'll destroy him. You don't want to add to his plate now a prestigious title. 
filter that brother more. But here's just a word for all of us. Because perhaps you're here tonight and we're talking about leaders, but this applies to us. Are you hiding tonight? Whether you're a church leader or a member with a stellar reputation, but in your heart of hearts, there's a secret place that you go and you entertain things and mess with things that you know you should not. Is that you? Is that us? You're sinning. You're breaking your faith. You're living a lie. Well, then I'm so thankful you're here because I'm pleading with you one more time. There's grace for you. You don't have to live like that anymore. Are you tired of living like that? I love Christianity. You know why? I could sleep every night. So good. I'm not hiding anything. I'm an open book. Take my phone. Take my laptop. Come to my home. I got nothing to hide. I got my weaknesses and failures, and I'll likely, gladly invite you in and say, pray for me. But if we're hiding, church family, you won't get very far. There's grace for you. It's why Christ came. Confess your sins to God. He's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse you. I don't care if you're aspiring for the pastorate or not. Confess those sins. Take advantage of every gathering. Nudge a brother or a sister. It doesn't need to be a pastor. Say, I'm struggling. I'm enslaved to this. I need freedom. Pray for me. This is a sin that's got to go. That is how it should be. And if we are a family that's like that, and God has given us pastors in our midst, they're just in the filtering process, guess what? If they grew up living in a community like that, by the time, whenever God sees fit that they are ready, these leaders are going to be so, so shaka. They're going to be the type of leaders that we're just like, you know, like, yeah. And we've seen them filtered throughout their whole lives. But it's going to take a whole family to do this, not just three pastors. But I'm pleading with you tonight, Ephesians 5. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness. Expose them. It's, Paul even says, I know it's shameful to mention what we do in the darkness, but anything exposed by light becomes visible, and anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, he says, wake up, sleeper. Arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. I love the gospel. I love that it's true this morning, this night, today. Christ will shine on you. He will set you free, and you will finally live the life you were meant to live. Come on into the light, please. You see, Timothy, some of these men, their sin is going to creep up later, so don't be quick. Let the test of time tell. A great prayer of mine has been over the past 10 years, every time I've interacted with men in our church, outside of our church, who tell me they're aspiring for the ministry, is I would pray for them, encourage them, and then in my heart I say, Father, please, we'll see. We'll see. Time will tell. Time will tell. We're done. But church family, before we appoint men into this position, we want to see the fire in their personal life before any kind of fire in the pulpit. 
And I will tell you this as a pastor, though I'm young in age, I've shared with you a little bit of my life. God, by his grace and his providence, has been filtering me for some time. And it's only by the grace of God that I am what I am. But this passion that you see and experience here, this public ministry, it's only going to be as powerful as my personal, private, holy life. My personal holiness. That's it. So, in closing, we need to pray and work together on how to filter men into the pastorate. Not fast track them. We need to prevent verse 19 to 21 from happening. And we start right now. It's been weird <laughs> preaching these messages this month for me. Not, not just because it's Pastor's Appreciation Month, which is really, a, I really want to say thank you. Uh, and those of you who have written letters and said words of encouragement, they do go a long way with me. Um, but I feel like 12 months out of the year should be Pastor Preparation Month. <laughs> we can have a month for appreciation, but let's have a whole year of preparation of refining, putting through fire. But it happens like this. It's, it's just been so weird for me to preach these series of sermons because I know this stuff, I read it, and I'm like, it looks and sounds amazing. And I feel like we're beginning to actually breathe and live in it and taste it. And so it's just, you know, when you see brothers like Brandon come and give the word next week or other brothers that you've got to hear from, um, and in the future, we pray more. But we're not going to rush it. Right, Brandon? We're not going to rush it. And, um, and I, one thing I do appreciate about Brandon and, uh, is his patience and his desire to just really examine himself. And I think that's a good, good, good place to be. But anyway, um, in closing... I thank God so much for our church family. Um, we're bringing this chapter to a close. Chapter 6 and then we'll be pow. Next week we'll be in the fellowship hall for prayer week. But let's keep the pathway to the pastor at Nuuanu. Patient preparation. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for being so patient with us. We... Many of us, God, um, we've had pastors in our lives that perhaps were put there too early or shouldn't even have been there. And yet here we are, God, and we have your word and we just pray that we do something. Thank you for where we are in the life of our church now as we're really looking at our bylaws and restructuring things and studying verses like this together as a family. Holy Spirit, do the work. I'm so encouraged by Sunday's message in Matthew. It says that Christ will build his church and the gates of Hades won't prevail against it. You're building the church. You're raising up the pastors and deacons and future leaders and members in this church family. You're doing it. We just need to simply keep our eyes on you 
and keep our heads and hearts in the Bible. Thank you for the wisdom given. We pray that we'd heed it. And I pray that if there's anybody tonight or anybody online listening that is in a space and place right now where they are tempted or habitually hiding a Holy Spirit, bring them into the light. Let the light of the gospel shine on them. And if there are church leaders or even pastors listening to this who are presently in sin right now, please, God, cause them to repent and come into the light. If there are men who are aspiring for the pastorate right now, give them patience and help them to keep being refined in the fire letting you filter out all the infirmities. Keep working on us until you call us into glory. We love you, Lord. Patience, patient preparation is the pathway to the pastorate. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Worthy is your name. Help us to hear you, to bring out the sin and shame, and live life renewed by your redeeming love. Lord, help us to pursue personal holiness, preparing us to be a living sanctuary for you, to see your Holy Spirit active in our lives, actions, and words in all moments of opportunity and resistance that come into our life. In all ways, let your name be what we rather have more than anything else this world affords us today. In your name, amen. Go in his peace.